Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello. Hello, William. Hey, happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. What, do you say merry or happy? I like to say have a cool Yule. (laughs) (laughs) I just need to put a timer on for my and your cottage pie. Is it in the oven now? No, no, that's a reminder to put it in the oven. Okay. I have got you a present. I knew you would have. I want to give it to you now. No, you don't. I'm going to get it for you. Is it a chicken? Is it a chicken? No. Chris is off, skipping away like a little elf. Oh, he's loving it, isn't he? God. Close your eyes. He's back already. He looks like he's holding a bit of loo roll behind his back. <coughs> you can open them. Okay, it's on my... I'm Face. <gasps> Where'd you get that from? I had it made. When? A few weeks ago. What it is, is it's a grey, my favourite colour, homo sapiens sweatshirt. Yes. William, oh, you I like be the way the, they've done the lettering, actually. You will, well, that's our lettering. It's our font. No, 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 but I like... Oh, no, I see, actually. Maybe I don't know. Um, it's the only Homo sapiens jumper in existence. Well, I'll put this on the internet. Yeah. I've got a merry fortune. Whack that on eBay. That'll pay for my acupuncture. <laughs> William, who have we got on the show today? Julian Clary. Julian Clary is, I think, a very progressive um, comedian when he started at the beginning of his career. He was very out and seen as extremely outrageous. And also, he's in a pantomime. He is king of panto, isn't he? He's so king of panto. And I think he's in, he's in a panto with Dawn French at the... Palladium? Oh, Palladium. It's like the biggie, isn't it? Yeah. They all get their lines and stuff, but then they all riff and write loads of their own parts oh, for their yes. roles. So they're really funny, and you've got all these brilliant people like Dawn French and him creating these characters. It would be great. And we're going to yeah. go and see it, aren't we? We are going to go and see it. I think that... What I do in my, in my shows is usually turn everything around so that my world is my world on stage is the real world, and therefore, mm. and if, that's why I'm quite keen on getting heterosexuals out of the audience and uh, messing around. But then suddenly their world is is the oddity, you know. Perfect guests for Christmas. And you've all been writing in for all these months that we have been beavering away on season three. So we're going to read out some of those emails. And a Twitter question. And we've been asking you guys what your worst Christmas presents have been. And they are really funny. Welcome back, Chris Sweeney. Thanks, William Young. This is Homo Sapiens. And this is a, a Christmas gift, as you it were. You were going to say special there. I was going to say Christmas special. Mm-hmm. It's a Christmas special. Um, Do you know how happy I am to be doing a Christmas special? Out of ten? Ten. Because, one, we've missed doing this, haven't we? How does it feel to be back in the saddle? 
Well, I just like talking to my friend the whole time. Which listener have you missed the most? Oh, I've missed... Who is the listener that just kept on coming back for another argument? I missed one of them. Rona! Rona! <laughs> Rona. Rona, oh, no, was... Rona was rather cool. Just giving you some email updates. Ashley has been in touch. Answering all of your prayers, William, saying, I'm a bit late to the podcast and I'm working through series two and I've just got to the end of episode five where Will expressed his need for a phone case with a lighter. No. So please see below. No, no. And there is the Amazon link. I always said this and people laughed at me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's got a bottle in it. <laughs> it's a holiday in one. Oh my God. So it's just got this little hole that you just push the cigarette in and it lights it hey ashley thank you so much andrew kin's been in touch um dear mr miss manager good day having obtained your name and address from hong kong trade development council we know from there that you are one of the mink coat product sellers we are writing to inquire whether you are willing to establish relations with us We are import and export trade company in Shanxi province in China. This is to the Hello Homo Sapiens podcast email address. Like, how how is that person writing? Did you email back? I didn't because I thought mink and I thought... That's horrible. Someone from my old school got in touch. And he said, "Um, Dear Chris and Will, I've been meaning to listen to Homo Sapiens for a while. It isn't until my summer break that I really had the chance to try and catch up. I've since binge listened and have loved every second. I'm a young gay man and a teacher and I found myself wrestling with how much I should or shouldn't talk with the boys that I teach and the girls, but they join us when they're older. Teaching mostly boys, I've felt it really important in recent years to challenge stereotypes and to challenge social norms, to make them think about who they are, what they say and how they're perceived. I now regularly tell them to sort out their uniform for no boy or girl is going to check you out when you look like that. Or when you're older and have a boyfriend or girlfriend, etc. I like that. It's cool, isn't it? Although difficult to start with, as the years have passed, I've become increasingly comfortable in my own skin and in turn challenging the boys on these topics issues has become increasingly natural. You talk a lot about how essential education is, and it really is. If gay teachers don't pick kids up on their negative use of language or stop and make them think about how they're acting, what hope do we have? After all, these kids spend more time in our care than with most other adults. Very true. Yeah. Brilliant. That's really cool. Great that he's representing. the kind of teacher I would like. Mm. Does it make you want to go... Back. And and reset my RA level. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, please tell me about your RA level. (laughs) I knew that it was a turkey. Uh, Just no one else could tell. Did you do RA level? Yeah. I can't remember what I did. I did a huge, like, eight-foot purple painting of my toilet in my house. (laughs) I have no idea why. And it was so bad. What did you get? I got an A for our A-level. Oh. Yeah. I got a B. I went to a life drawing class. Life drawing class. And it's strippers. The East London Stripping Cooperative or something like that. Is that why you're wearing the onesie? (laughs) 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 So I went there. I don't know how to life draw. I've never done it in my life. I couldn't keep up you know literally i was yeah. dropping my pencil and then she was like okay next pose i was like fuck I didn't even get is there, does anyone have a sharpener <laughs> the woman who's got has the got a pen yeah is anyone god please can you just know and i sneaked a peek at someone to my right they were the drawings were amazing they were using charcoal yeah i was using the equivalent of you know one of those black and yellow <laughs> hb pencils that aren't for drawing <laughs> but anyway I, I slightly fell in love with the woman Really? Yeah. 
She wasn't like skinny mini or anything. She had an amazing body, so beautiful, and these incredible dreads. Very high, like, blocky heels. Mm-hmm. And this pole in the middle of the room. Oh, so she was actually pole dancing. Yeah. Right. She had hairy armpits, which oh. I quite liked, mm-hmm. and, and a hairy bush, <laughs> as it happened. Um, <laughs> and she had an amazing body, and I just fell in love with all the curves of her body. Yes. So I really felt like... Yeah, I can see how you can fall in love with the with the form, the body's form. Yes. And I like that. Did you actually get any drawing done? No, I didn't get anything done. To be honest, I just wanted to go for a cigarette after 10 minutes. Also, it was bloody hot in there. Can I say I can see you yeah. doing the entire thing? Yeah. Lots of like... Excuse me. Yes, yeah. totally. Have you got any pencils? Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, oh, fuck. Um, someone dropped... I knocked into someone their pencil... Their whole kit went everywhere. <laughs> But listen, you got to, you can't just ram them in. You're very like your dad in scenarios that day. It all becomes, oh, that's our Shepherd's cottage pie. has got to go in the oven. Oh. You're, anyway, you're thanks very... for joining us. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Merry New Year. <coughs> I, while you're doing the Shepherd's Pie, I'm going to tell you what's going on. Because go on. we interviewed Julian Clary for this Christmas special. Absolutely, we did. I was delighted. Oh, that's looking good. Julian um, Clary has been a fixture of Christmas ever since I was a child. Julian Clary, I think, is very anarchic and actually was doing my little digging on him. Mm. And when he started, people might not know, people might not know him. He came from a cabaret circuit. You know, he had lots of makeup and sort of lederhosen and chaps. And he'd wear sort of one full length sort of trouser leg, but another one would just be up to his, you know, down to the knees and figure hugging and terribly camp. Yeah. And... He then sort of worked his way and he presented a show which was very mainstream. Mm. And there's YouTube clips of people going, why is this fag on TV? You know, why this queer, you know, he looks like a queer. There's a woman going, well, he's just done up like a queer. Do you know what I mean? I think he's slightly missing the point. (laughs) Like he existed in a time, I think he was very, very brave. And then he had his own show and then he got banned from ITV because he said something which we didn't speak to him about mm. um he said something about fisting and so he got banned from tv yeah for like i think it was like a decade but i might be wrong i think he's the perfect christmas guest terribly he, handsome i thought he is very handsome tall as well very tall six yeah. foot four six foot four for the fact fans among us lovely house oh such a nice house <sighs> You went upstairs. What did you see? Oh, I went upstairs for a fake wee. I didn't mm. wee. So he's got a living room upstairs. Uh-huh. Sorry, my mum might might be listening. Sitting room upstairs. It was really nice. Like, open plan, lovely. I just peeked at it. It was very, very classy. And I watched something he did recently at the Hammersmith Apollo on BBC, and it was re- he was really good. He was bloody funny. I think, uh, yeah, because that was the other thing I, w- I wanted to talk to him about was Hannah Gadsby said, as a gay woman she doesn't want to feel like she has to send up her gayness or even her femaleness in order to get a laugh you know and saying to him like do you feel like a lot of his career has been about sending himself up and do you feel a shift because of things like Hannah Gadsby's show marking a new dawn let's say but he just wants to flip the table on everything that's going on so he doesn't want to have like a boring dull conversation he wants to like puncture pomposity or and that's why he's a almost like a 
he's a troublemaker and not in a bad way but you know he yeah, likes I think he is. mischief maker yeah he's totally a mischief maker that's where it all comes from when he is so knowing he knows exactly what he's doing and he's towing the line but he is pushing it just to the limit yes and oscar Wilde was doing that Noel Cobb was doing that as soon as he's on stage you're nervous yeah and it's the same with dame Medley. you don't want her anywhere near you oh in God. your radar yes and that's kind of mc territory yes. she did play the mc in cabaret yeah we didn't talk same about show that. no we didn't did yeah, we I, meant to. I didn't want to i felt threatened i felt i felt like we'd shared a lover or something <laughs> it's never stopped you before <laughs> oh chris oh how we jest we went to stockholm Ah, we went to Stockholm. That's German, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, we went to Stockholm. For? Europride. Europride. Still got the t-shirts. We had so much fun, didn't we? I remember going down to that lovely restaurant on the lake and having a dip with your husband. The bag is um, in this room. You got very aggressive once they tried to punch me. But yeah. Do you remember that? I don't share pudding and you know it. <laughs> And I've warned you... But you didn't have to rub it in my face. No, that's true. <laughs> well, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> that, wasn't um, that wasn't pudding. We had that. So they have this floats and stuff on the march of all the different things. And they all go past. And it was brilliant. They had, like, the one that for the local school. Do you remember that? Like, really young kids on there, 9 to 12-year-olds, being like, it's accepting for kids to be gay in Stockholm. It's, very, it's a very open-minded place. And then there was one for... An empty bus for all the Premier League footballers. Oh, yes. Which I think is quite Yes. Cool. One more. Yeah. Was the fire engine with the fire hose that went... Oh, my God, on the march. Just extended all the way up really slowly and then sprayed everyone with yes. water. We had a great time. It was a great journey. Thank you very much, Europride, for doing that. Yeah. We met some nice people. In Stockholm LGBT, that's who took us, I think. We won an award. We did win an award. The Pink News Award. Thank did. you for our champagne they sent. We were asked to do the auction. A live auction selling off things to raise money for charity at the Pink News Awards. Yeah, yeah. it had been going on a long time, Everyone as awards won. often do. Tony Blair had been there. Theresa May gave a message. Jeremy Corbyn was there. Jeremy Corbyn was there. I saw Jesus at one point. It was highbrow kicking off. It was. We were put on the reality TV table. <laughs> we were next to the waiters from First Dates. Who I love. Were they lovely? Yeah. Actually, I think I slightly fancied him. Yeah. And her, actually. She was really nice. I was had she a nice? long conversation with them both. Oh, did you? Because Sissy was working in balance the famous gay restaurant in soho mm. and that's where she was spotted by the producers on channel four um, anyway yes we were also asked to do the auction no one was caring at that stage everyone was drunk i went in full gusto i practically <laughs> threw you off the stage basically it was like you eight thousand pounds nine thousand pounds we were meant to be doing it together you locked in i locked in and was like get this done but no, we did win a Pink News Award, which is Best Broadcaster. Yeah, thank you for people which, who voted. Yeah, because everybody voted for us. And I was really chuffed because, as I said on Instagram, I've never won anything apart from a Rice Krispies truck <laughs> when I was six. And I will also qualify that with, I didn't even win it. I just had to send off some vouchers. <laughs> so, because it's Christmas, we had to ask our dear listeners, what have been the worst Christmas presents you've ever been given? Do you know how many people wrote back? Two. Four. Hundred nearly. Are you joking? No. Kelly says, a size 14 peach negligee from a friend. I was a size 10. <laughs> I took it back to M&S and they said they hadn't sold it for two years. <gasps> they gave me a £5 gift voucher out of pity. 
Oh my god! Isn't that amazing? We're not friends anymore. She oh, says. I like that. I like she that ending. Underneath. That's good. There's a film in that. Then we've got people commenting underneath. 1994, my mum gave me a royal blue skirt. Think Maggie Thatcher, the queen, still with tags on. I asked, you definitely got it from Etams? Yes, says mum. Took it back. Out came the manager. Not sold for at least 12 years. They opened a can of worms. Hasn't it just? My mum bought me and my hubby a sex game called Monogamy. She thought it was Monopoly. No. Wow. Wellies, both for the left foot, one size five and one size six. (laughs) I once got given a present that was... Like a Airfix car. Yeah, and I opened it and I was like, ah. And then in the bottom of it was the card that had been given with it to someone else saying, dear dot, 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 this should keep you out of trouble. No. Yeah. John got a bicycle with a tyre missing. And then Julia's commented underneath, I'm not sure I believe you. <laughs> okay, John's come back. Okay, it did have both tyres. What? Although it was a S-hand girl's bike. My dad had put a cross on it and wrapped it with blue tape. I'm still scarred. So he's completely changed his story. She called him out. Julia says, your dad sounds awesome. They're still chatting. Thanks, he was, bless him. Sharon got a packet of baby wipes with a handbag-sized can of hairspray. Scott says, the clap, Bangkok, says Ah, <laughs> That's my favourite one. I think it's time for the main event. Do you mean the shepherd's pie? No, we're having that in a bit. It's Julian Clary. Ah, yes. Really nice. We went round to his house. We bought him a candle. We did. I so wanted to keep it for myself. Yes, but you resisted. I did, because I'd already bought one. So here is our interview with Julian Clary. One quick question before we head over there. Do you like ketchup in your shepherd's pie? Yes, I do. When you want to be in a gay care home, careful what you wish for. I just think it wouldn't... I would much rather be... Because I got, I got the fear the other day, the fear of God. Please look after me if, if, you, if I'm more ill than you. Please. I know I'll be a pain. There's going to have to be something in writing. Cashmere. I'll yeah. give you cashmere. Thank you. Um, on a daily basis. I'll just send your kids to look after me. Um, <laughs> I would much rather be in a gay care home. They have them in America and in they? Germany yeah. places. Germany. Um, be happy there. Yes. <laughs> A nice drugs trolley coming around at five o'clock every evening. Absolutely, preferably yeah. some sort of pretty male nurse. Strip night. Yes. <laughs> strip, strip poker. Yeah. Again, the male nurses. Gay porn on a, on a Wednesday. Well, that's, that happens anyway. <laughs> I really think I might prefer to go to Dignitas. <laughs> spend my dotage in that sort of environment. Would you not want that? I wouldn't not. Okay, well, what about these, um, what about these, um, I know you're already going to say this, but the care home, there's one, isn't there, for people who are performers? Oh, yes, something house. And if someone more famous is coming in, the other people get moved away or really? something. Really? There is a place, isn't there? Yes. No, I've, I've thought, I've, that's why I married a man 17 years younger than me, so that um, he will wipe the dribble from my chin. <laughs> <laughs> you think, you need, you need that in writing. Get that yeah. I, think, I think he wouldn't. I think he'd, mm-hmm. be, I think he'd be off. I really. thought you had kids. Here's the brochure. No, we don't have kids. I Only Albert. Where is Albert? He's here reclining, being very good. Would you have kids? No, we thought we talked about it, but I, I think I'm too old. To, to um, be bothered really now. Not be bothered, but just too old. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think gay, I don't know if you agree with this, but gay couples often feel like they have to behave like straight couples in order to be a proper thing. And I think actually you can work out your own version. You don't have to have children, you don't mm. have to, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. 
That said, I still want to have kids because then someone will wipe dribble from me. That's the plan. And do you want, your, so you want your own actual genetic children? And that's not, a, that doesn't interest me particularly. Right. I don't, have a, I don't have that gene in me that is about procreation right. at all. I don't, I, I think people are people and you can make a family out of anything. Yeah. Play-Doh. <laughs> but we never sp- hung out with our family as a kid like we weren't particularly close to our cousin so I've never felt that need what uh, to procreate I don't know it's not in me Do if I had a womb no I would have I would have had one I did get a girl pregnant once did you and so I sometimes muse that child now would be coming up for 40 was that a relationship well what do you think it was a shag <laughs> No, it was a relationship. Right. But anyway, she had a miscarriage, so it wasn't to be. Mm. But if I had a womb, I would just have got pregnant, I think. Mm. Would you have got a... I don't know what I think about some people... My God, I think I'm going to use that phrase, but I suddenly felt really Daily Mail. Like playing God with... I just... I think sometimes people want a kid. They think just because they want a kid, they should have a kid. And I don't think that's necessarily... But I think they're right. People do get that overwhelming urge to. But I I think some people like, they're like, so, for example, I would like children. I don't want to have children single um, because I don't think it's great. It would be great for me, actually. It would be great for the kids. But if I was potentially selfish, Mm -hmm. just talking this through, I'd be like, no, I'm having it. Turkey paste it up or whatever it is. I'm having my kids because I want them. I'm not actually thinking it through. It's like, I'd like seven dogs, but that's not going to happen in my little house in Clapham. Mm. Mm. And I think... Have you got a dog? I've got two dogs. Two dogs. Yeah. What are they? Dachshund and a border terrier. No. I know, they're gorgeous. Mm. Yes, we fancy a Dachshund. Get a Dachshund. He's got a Dachshund. Well, they're the best. We babysit a lovely one called Max. Standard or mini? He's mini. Smooth-haired. That's what we've got. But they're not compliant like these. No, it's quite, he's quite demanding, Max. They just do whatever they want. They're not, it's like a cat which, that can bark. Yeah. Like, it's not going to follow you across the road. He's, just very, he's a very easy dog yeah. to have around. Rescue dogs, I think, are, aren't they? And mongrels. <laughs> Grateful. <laughs> yes. He yeah. could be... He is really, really well behaved. He's so cute. Do you, if you walk out here and you walk to the park, would you have to put him on the lead? Yes. I saw the pictures of Noel, Noel Coward um, just on the stairway there, that picture. And I love Noel Coward. And I think people like him, people like, maybe even more so actually, like Larry Grayson, Frankie Howard, people who got into the mainframe, got into the mainstream, were so, what's the word, subversive. And I think you've been one of those people and are mm. one of those people. Like... When your career started, I just think what you were doing was incredible because there was no one else even close to that. Yeah. Like, I, my mind can't quite fathom how you even managed to get there. So I was watching one of your um, shows. The clothes that you're wearing are freaking amazing. <laughs> amazing. Your makeup. You're wearing, like, an inflate, inflatable kind of silver, almost liner. Something that Lady Gaga probably wore last year. You were wearing it then. And then... You did the show with Mike Smith and I watched something when people were 
calling you queer and that queer should be on TV. And I thought, how the hell did this guy manage? I but didn't manage to do that. Well, it wasn't that subversive on the cabaret circuit. That was the thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing it for several years in a very kind of liberal left-wing environment. And then um, someone called mm-hmm. Michael Hurl, who produced that show called Trick or Treat with yeah. Mike Smith, he saw me on Friday Night Live. And so he was a subversive one, really, by taking, taking me out of that circuit, out of that environment, and putting me on daytime. Well, it was a tea time show on ITV in 1988 or something. Wow. So he must have known. I was oblivious, you know. I was just saying, this is what I... I do, and shall I do this? And he said, that would be great. And it, it was a, a very incongruous mix, me and Mike Smith. Which, yeah. uh, so he, it was very mischievous of him. But no, the, re- the reaction was. And I was, I was very bemused by that reaction, because I, I don't know what I thought would happen, but... Uh, How old were you? 27, 26. And, and then when you, you came across that reaction... How was it then, bemusement? Well, no, and then after a while I felt a bit self-righteous about it. And I, I, used, to, I used to enjoy upsetting people. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because I felt like they, that would maybe be what they deserved. But I hadn't, you know, I hadn't ever thought about Daily Mail readers and things like that. Mm. And then, then there they were, being outraged. I thought, well, I'll just go along with this. Did your act start evolving with... Because of that, do you think there was a, a reaction to that and you said you, you, know, you could push it a bit more? Do you think that started? It's hard to remember. I mean, you can, you can assign certain things <laughs> yeah. and evolvements, but yeah. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if um, I ever thought about that. I mean, I, I did remember recently, prior to all of that, and why I started picking on the audience was because it was rough, you know, and if you were doing a midnight show at the comedy store mm. and people were drunk... I had, you had like a minute's grace before they would start heckling. So I would start, I thought, oh, I'll, how about if I pick on them before they pick on me? And, and so the really? whole, you know, who does your hair for you? And all that was, was just the insecurity thing, really. Mm. And I didn't have much of an act. I don't, there's not much substance. So I think that's true. But, yeah. but as to what happened later, I mean, you only really want to make people laugh if you're a comedian. The, the sharp intake of breath from people in Harrogate is <laughs> <laughs> fine but you want to win them over you want to be liked do you see yourself as someone who is speaking the truth when others won't because that's sort of a thing I get from you is sort of it kind of punctures a pomposity about a scenario almost mm. I remember in the 80s thinking well no one else is talking about um, being gay and and being very graphic about it and, and because I had certain mannerisms and a certain voice, I thought, well, all these things that have been a disadvantage in the past could, in, in the comedy world, you can turn that round. Mm. That was a sort of um, eureka moment. I, I think there's something amazing if... OK, so my dad, Robin mm. Young, famous, is a, is a bit... is a trickster. He's a, you know, he's, he's a comedian. He loves to have, make fun and he loves being anarchic and I think there's something about great comedians because there's an intelligence and a sensitivity there but also an, an, a sense of being a bit anarchic mm. so you can slightly start creating trouble and there's nothing better than getting in the mainframe 
Allah this morning. I mean, it doesn't get any more mainframe than that. Maybe loose women, you know, mm. and then slightly causing trouble. Yeah, no, I agree. But it is a comedic device. Totally. And that, and part of what comedy is, is, is taking people by surprise. Mm. I, I quite like interrupting myself, saying I'm here to tell you about what happened last week, but then getting distracted so right. it actually takes 40 minutes to tell you something very simple. <laughs> I quite enjoy all that digressing and stuff. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household. Customized to your family's needs and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, have you heard of Hannah Gatsby? Hannah Gatsby. She talks about the idea of how she feels that she had been, her early days of comedy, she had been forced to send herself up to make people laugh. And she didn't want to do that anymore. That was kind of her, one of her big points, yeah. wasn't it? That yeah. like, if you are, she was speaking from the point of view of being like a lesbian, you know, that I have to send that up in myself in order to get you to laugh and I don't want to do that anymore. You know, and I wonder if there is a kind of shift in comedy that it's, people don't want to do that anymore, maybe. I mean, I really related actually to what she said because I remember watching this comedian, Hannah, I thought, God, that's so interesting because she said... When you're on the margins already, people are trying to get you to... By laughing at yourself, that's not, that's not just laughing at yourself, you're shaming yourself constantly to try and make other people feel better. And I really related to that. But I think now, when I look back on the landscape at the beginning of my career now, it's completely different. When I look where you, where you first came to the public attention, the landscape, I mean, that is just... I cannot believe what's changed. Has you, have you felt that in the audiences? I think that what I do in my, in my shows is usually turn everything around so that my world is my world on stage is the real world, and therefore, mm. and if, that's why I'm quite keen on getting heterosexuals out of the audience and uh, messing around. But then suddenly their world is is the oddity, you know. Yeah. So, uh, what were you like as a kid, though? Were you a performer as a kid? I was funny with my family, mm. and um, but I wasn't funny at school. Really? No. Well, I was in my in my own mind. I was hilarious, but I was I would save things up to be funny about when I got home. Really? Yeah. So, were your family was it a liberal upbringing, for want of a better description? It was. It was the seventies. You know, it's all a bit frantic. The seventies, mm-hmm. but uh, my mother certainly is very liberal. And they laugh a lot, my parents. And, right. and that was sort of what the point of the day was, was to laugh about everything. Really? Yes. And um, I was thinking about that the other day. 
everything. You could, there's nothing you couldn't laugh at, you know. Really? Watching the news, they would sit there and, and make a joke out of the newsreader's dress or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so did you feel you could be whatever you were around them? Or was there a kind of watershed moment of having to come out or be different? No, there was no coming out in my case. No, I, I think what it gave me was was being able to trivialise absolutely anything. Okay, Which yeah. is not always appropriate, but uh, my mind does that. Mm. I'm still quite shocked by how homophobic homophobia in schools is dealt with. Did you come across that? Yes, it was all very... Uh, extensive in my case I was a very effeminate youth in a boys Catholic school run by Benedictine monks mm. and uh, but it, I did sort of turn it around to, to it was like a celebrity status within the school it being the 70s there was glam rock and all that kind of thing I, I don't know I kind of I was even at the age of 12 thought oh there's a life outside of all this and I I, I felt above it all really I, I just didn't go in for being a victim even as a child which is quite amazing I think where did that come from why wasn't I feeling terrible and someone helped me and, mm. uh, I didn't I felt rather annoyingly sort of superior really mm. must have been annoying for everyone else but I was very disdainful of all these awful rugby playing boys mm. <laughs> but I think that's wonderful that people have certain great loving parents that are there so there's a bedrock that is mm. it, there's a bedrock there that's, that's nourished you enough to you know there could be so many different factors my mother in particular can be, she's quite confrontational even in her 80s and she doesn't mind offending people mm-hmm. or um, telling them they're talking rubbish what was she moaning about the other day a meeting at the bowls club mm-hmm. and uh, she was the only woman there. I think she's on a committee or something. So she was the only woman with all these men. I'm afraid I can't remember the, yeah. the meat of this anecdote, but they were annoying her because they were all men talking about what they were doing when they go home or something. And she said, well, I'm, I have to go and cook dinner for my husband still. And, yeah. um, and so she kind of told them and, and she said she had better things to do than listen to all this drivel. And Love that. <laughs> but... Um, so th- that you, you know, grow up in, with a parent like that, you absorb yeah. it. But I do. I, I think it might just be in the blood as well. I, are you like that as well? Like someone who calls stuff out, not in a comedy sense, in a kind of day-to-day life sense. Do you feel that you, if someone's talking shit, you have to call them out on it? Yes, and I, I also I don't mind saying no to people. Mm when they expect you to say yes. Mm. Don't mind saying no, with no explanation. Just no. That's cool. Don't need to explain, do you? No. <laughs> it's not my, not my problem. <laughs> it's, it's the most powerful word. Yeah, I was talking to my mum about that because my mum isn't great at that. She can actually buckle around people. And I was saying, it's harder work to call people out if they're being doing something that you don't agree with at a dinner table or whatever. Mm. But you have to. Yes. Fuck the social disruption element of it. If someone's doing something that they that it needs calling out. Yes. I'm not talking about policing people, but you know. Well, you have to. she should try it. Going back, you know, you said you started on the cabaret circuit, did you say? Yes. And how did you get into that? Like, 
where did that all come from? Was that from being a young teenager? Well, we'd have to go back a long way. (laughs) Well, let's go. I really want to know. So I left university Mm. in 1979, Mm. thinking I was going to be an actor. Well, I I did get an acting job in 1981, Covent Garden Community Mm Theatre, which was, we did a tour of adventure playgrounds, doing a children's show. It was in the days of our Art Council grants, and Mm. it was sort of anti-vivisection show. Wow. And then we did another show called Winter Draws On, which was like sketches. And one of the sketches was me playing an a kind of agony aunt called Gillian Pieface. Oh, okay, yeah. Who would do the laying on of hands. And then Andy Cunningham, who was the director mm-hmm. of Common Garden Community Theatre, said, come and do that as a five-minute thing at the Earth Exchange Vegetarian Restaurant in Highgate, <laughs> which was that was like the embryonic beginnings of the cabaret circuit. Right, okay. So I, I went and did that, and then I did it again somewhere, and then that evolved into the Joan Collins fan club mm. with um, my dog at the time, Fanny. So you, you enjoyed making a character, really, is how it all started, is that? Yeah, well, before all that, at university, I'd been doing a double act called Glad and May with a girl called Linda Savage. Mm-hmm. That was all about going down people's handbags, and it was much the same carry-on mm. as now, really. I think what a lot of comedians do is you take an aspect of your own personality and just exaggerate it. Right. Do you still get nervous? I do. And does that... So sometimes I can get very taken by surprise when I get nervous. Mm, horrible, isn't so it? I think, oh, wow, why? Mm, overwhelming wave. Which could be, does not match, you know, what I'm going on to do that night. No. Mm. Or whatever it is. And how do you cope with it? What do you do to... Well, I think for work, I just think it's all nonsense. It That's what ma- I think, yes. It doesn't matter. But it, I also tell myself, it doesn't matter if you, if you don't want to do this... You can go. You can go home. Mm. Well, that's the most powerful. thing. And um, actually, you can. But the worst thing that will happen is everyone has to be given their money back, and they say, "What a shame." Yeah. Mm. It's, not, it's not like I'm about to do brain surgery, and someone's life depends on it. No. Mm. I did once. I went off for a costume change, <laughs> and it wasn't going well. I thought oh, I'll just go home, <laughs> and I did, and left my pianist on stage doing a little loop of lead with the pack. <laughs> Poor Russell. And uh, I never came back. Really? Where <laughs> really? was that? It's in New York. Was that your last night there? As in, did you not No, we back? did carry on. Oh, you did carry on. <laughs> I kind of uh, love There'll be a slight interruption now when my husband departs for New York. Hello. Hi, Hello. how are you? You're going to New York? Yeah, for work. Oh, oh God. I'm jealous. I can't do it. Oh, no, this is... We're interrupting now. Yes. We can add in. Can you bring me a present back? What are you doing? Well, now you're on record, you have to say yes. We to can bring add in nash- wailing and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> Nine percented shrinks. Yes, it's fine. Um, so a diptyque, diptyque candle would be nice. What's cheap oh, look, over there? We've been given a candle. Oh, lovely. What kind? A Christmassy one. Yeah, because it's our Christmas special. We must have we, we burn that. it. We, it burns for as long as we're here, and then we just take it back. Yeah, it's a travelling yeah. candle. <laughs> I feel like I've left something. Be nice to the dog. OK. I love the dog. I'll speak to you tomorrow. Have a good trip. Bye. Bye.
How long have mm. you been together? Oh God, 13 years mm. or something. I'm so jealous. Are you? I'm dreadful. I just, relationships terrify me. Yes, I know what you mean. They terrify me. I'm jealous of you. But how old are you? Is it my luggage? I see, I didn't really have proper, well, that's not true. But I didn't quite understand it all. That sounds condescending. Anyway, 40 is quite an interesting decade. I see, yeah, go on. I'm quite looking forward to it. I mean, I'm already telling people actually I'm 40. Oh, I couldn't give relationship advice. Ian would be howling. No, I don't, I don't <laughs> but what's it like, what's it like in, in your, how were your 40s? So my dad said to me, your 30s, my 30s were wonderful, darling. Um, which mm. I know it means he basically just shagged loads of women. Um, my mother knows the same. She's probably shagging loads of women as well. Mm. Um, you know, he said that. Yes. He hasn't told me anything about my 40s yet. <laughs> I should have noticed. I'm turning mm. my calls. Like, mm. he said they're brilliant because you still look young. But you've got wisdom. Your 40s. Your 30s. Your 30s. So what are your 40s like? Well, speaking of someone who's 59, I think 40s are still quite young. Yeah. And how were your 40s? Well, they, I find each decade a bit better than the one before. Really? So, and it's to do with, a lot to do with anxiety, and in my case, mm. all those worries and expectations you have of yourself when you're really in your starting out and thinking well, I want to do this but I don't think I'd be able to and then you get a few years on and you can tick things off the list can't you or not mm. or decide it doesn't matter you must feel proud of what you've achieved well, I'm not I'm going for pride mm-hmm. I tell you what I think my bit of wisdom is that what I would tell my younger self life seems to provide you know what I mean? The right things come along at just the right moment. Mm. Be it a husband or a career opportunity or something. Almost as if there was some guidance from the universe. But mm. I, do, I do think you don't have to worry about things. Mm. That as long as you're kind of centred in some way and open to things, that things will just arrive on a plate. What are the things that you have learned that for your well-being or f- that keep you grounded and what have, have you got strategies well it was all quite mundane actually the things that i'm happiest with quite a mundane life you know mm. and i've i find it quite important that i am self-sufficient in every respect really and I, i'm not i don't want to be needy i've been needy in the past and mm. uh, that way madness lies. But going. yeah, it's kind of... Um, is that routine? Routine yeah, is good. It is, mm. but not taking things for granted. Oh, I don't know. So if I don't talk, that's not good for me. If I don't mm. talk. To people. If I turn up, yeah. tap, 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 and we're there, and I'm like, everything's fine, and it's not. Like, I had a very bad day yesterday. I love my job. Very bad day, and I had to tell my producer, because then at least I'm not about to explode. Mm. You know, Steve's like, how are you doing? It's a bit of a tricky one today. Mm. And then we're off. I didn't understand what anxiety was till literally three years ago when someone, like a therapist, said to me, what you're talking about is anxiety. And then I was like, oh, that's what that weird kind of like feeling is in me. You know what I mean? And how, and I can, for me, I can track that back all the way till I was like three, four years old. I remember having that feeling, but never naming it. And then when someone names it, you go, oh. You're born that way, do you think? Anxious. If you're anxious at three, 
Or can you track it back to something that happened when you were three? No, I, nothing happened specific. Or maybe not three. I think that if I was to give you, this is like my COD psychology version that is not something I sort of think is like a, a label I want to wear. You know what I mean? It's just like my own internal kind of justification is that I think if you know very young that you're gay, you are aware of social exclusion and you feel like something might be up, so you better make sure everybody likes you. So you don't walk into rooms, you walk into rooms feeling on the back foot already. So you just, I would identify who could make me safe in that room and I'd try and make them like me in a very subtle way. It's not like it was top of my mind. And that kind of went through. So I never really felt safe ever. And that's quite exhausting. So, you know, you're quite often fried, quite tired because you're always peddling to keep your head above water, I suppose. Mm. Because you've received some piece of information about the fact that you're not safe, which has totally not been verbalised to you. You've just kind of gleaned it from the room, you know? And there's something big coming that you're going to have to tell people, you know? I think it's that's, for me, where it comes from. And I can notice in myself if I'm going back into that, because I am fine. And no one gives a... One, no one gives a fuck that I'm gay. And two, I actually... I'm not going to make it any better for anyone else in the future unless I am walking down the street holding my husband's hand if I want to, you know, or whatever. That's my version. Does that make sense? It does. I was just thinking about other forms of anxiety from, mm. that, that um, other people have and uh, what that's all about. And I'm quite interested in genetics and, and whether, whether anxiety is genetic or mm. everything else seems to be. Mm, mm. And... It's almost preordained, really. I think it can be a combo as well. Like, I think maybe you can be the kind of person who is kicked off in that direction quite easily. By a social thing sparks a genetic thing, and mm. perhaps if you. But I do see in my straight male friends, massively generalising, but a lot of my straight male friends, they're like, "This is fine." They're not very anxious people because things tend to be working towards what they want anyway. So they're like, "Yeah, things will come to me." Do you agree or disagree? I just think it's a lot more hidden. I actually just think that I yeah, that's I have true. an anxiety, I don't want to call it disorder, I have very bad anxiety mm. and, and it's there most days and I guess there's, there's lots of reasons why it could be there and it all moulds into stuff I guess that means it happens and I think, I was talking to someone yesterday and she was saying <laughs> about, um, are you near, she was going, are you near the sort of precipice of your gay? towards mental health? Is there more of a problem? Like, why is that? And I, just, and I just thought, well, you don't have to be so near your emotions when you're living in a world where you don't feel taxed or mm. attacked or mm. you don't have to, to question anything. But I think, you know, it was more supposing. I thought, well, maybe I want, maybe being gay, I probably am more closer to what I think emo- or feel emotionally. When I came out to my mother, she said, you're going to get beaten up. That's the first thing she said. And she was terrified about HIV and AIDS. And I didn't live through that. Mm. You did live through that. What was that like? Well, it was all very grim and scary. But there was a certain Dunkirk spirit. Let's carry on. Mm. Let's party. You know, that was all, that's true. That, that's what people's reaction was. People, people became ill and died very quickly. That's what I am surprised about when I look back, you know, between sort of 
diagnosis of death was sort of six months or less mm. sometimes. And that was really scary. And a, a lot of people, and people, because I was, I was going out a lot in those days, you know. So a lot of people you knew from the gay scene that would, that would just sort of disappear. Mm. And you kind of realise where they'd gone. Like, you didn't have now, like, Facebook and all that stuff. Mm. So the sense of community was found out, you know, physically, as in out in spaces. It wasn't mm. online, it wasn't... No. So it must have really been, seemed even more apparent if I was going out on a Friday night and suddenly so-and-so who was always there wasn't there anymore. Yes. Because perhaps I might not have heard from anyone else if I hadn't... Yes. And I remember, um, this is like in the really early days, it was thought to be Americans that were responsible Really? For, yes. And so the word went around, don't, don't go home with an American, don't sleep with any Americans. Mm. But prior to that, they'd been quite a prize, quite a catch. Mm. They managed to go home with a yank. But um, <laughs> then it was, oh, what a shame. <laughs> that come from? So suddenly all oh, Americans... Were... People said it started in the New York dance scene, right? Was that it? The um, New York dance scene. <laughs> But yeah, it was something to do with that, wasn't yes, it? Yes, I think so. That was a, that was a Susan of truth. Mm. I like to think of the kind of people rallying together. You know, you said that it's a Dunkirk spirit. I mean, like, because there was a lot of... It sort of added fuel to the fire for people who hated gay people. It was just another kind of... Why, you know... Uh, it was like, this, well, they, they bought it on themselves, and, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know how... I know it was very preeminent in America. I don't know how preeminent it was here, but I remember the adverts. Well, I, you know, when you were talking then, it was reminding me, my godfather very sadly died of AIDS, and he had to keep it a secret, really. You know, and I know that's not original. But, you know, that was very common. But um, it was really odd, because I was really young. Um, but uh, he died of AIDS. He was a gay man. And I just think he was... It was so confusing because I was incredibly young, but I sort of knew it was something, but we didn't know what it was or we didn't say what it was. And, you know, and he basically had to go through that alone. Mm. So he didn't actually have that rallying. Well, he did. He, had, he was, had a really good friend called Philip Somerville and he died in his flat because he'd lost everything as he was dying. And then Philip said, well... Because often that generation of gay men didn't have kids who might look after you if you're old age and you're really ill. And, you know, so he they would go to each other's houses and that's where you would die, you know, and that's what happened to him. But, but that must have been fairly unusual. I mean, there was mm. amazing, amazingly compassionate care. Sorry, yes. Available. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't mean it like... I mean, I think he felt he had to keep it secret from certain people. Oh, right. I think that's... Most of my friends were at the Broderick, in the Broderick Ward at the Middlesex Hospital. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 the treatment was... Bit hit and miss, you mm-hmm. know. Mm. But you could see—I don't know—you could see how hard they all worked there, the doctors and nurses, and and how hopeless it was really at that time. No, it's something that is forgotten about. And that's why I wanted to ask you about it because I think it's mm. it's really important that and people. Yeah, a younger generation who very long ago for them, isn't it? God, it's not that long ago, folks. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, really we're, not. You know. No, of course, and that's why it's really important to hear about it because we were talking about it with someone the other day saying that this is massively generalising but you know 18 year old LGBT kids who don't know who Harvey Milk was and mm. stuff you know and yes it's 
You, know, you see, in one way, I really admire the fact that young LGBT people have confidence and, uh, you know, sort of self-righteousness that they have. But um, it is shocking that they don't know what happened 30 years ago. Particularly mm. when you've got Google. I feel like they should because I feel like that's the people that paved the way. Like, I know people paved the way for me in lots of different areas. So I think, I think it's really important to look back. Well, that's why um, Jack Guinness set up the Queer Bible thing. Just to like give everyone uh, their... Yes. Have you heard of this thing called the Queer Bible? No. It's good. It's a website. It's like just... This is Am I in queer it? history. Yes. I'm sure you are. In what section? New Testament. <laughs> <laughs> New I'm sure Testament. you are. Actually. Beginning. Gay Bible. Jack Guinness. Queer Bible. Queer Bible. Guy. Anyway, he set it up and I think it's cool. Um, oh. Anyway, Julian, thank you. And Merry Christmas, we should say. Oh, yes, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas. thank you. you What's your Christmas plan? Day? What's your Christmas plan? Um, well, I'll be working. I get Christmas Day off, mm-hmm. which is fine by me. I'll go home to my family and have mm. Christmas Day. And then I'll say, I'm terribly sorry. I've got to go back to work. Bye. Boxing Day. Yeah. Do you like Christmas? I like Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I <laughs> like being it. Christmas for other people in that, if they come to the theatre, I will be their good time. Mm. But um, I'm secretly thrilled that I don't have to go to parties and wear tinsel and be nice to people. I don't know about you, Chris, but I'm full to the brim with the joy of Christmas, and I've eaten about five mince pies. I actually have. I know how much you love mince pies as well. I love mince pies. Where do you get your best mince pie from? Interesting point, actually. I'm moving around. I'm circulating. Uh huh. So I'm going Aldi, Lidl's, M&S, Waitrose. Now I've had some from Waitrose, but last year I got bitten badly because they had Heston Blumenthal mince pies uh-huh. and they were kind of like weird pastry and I was terribly upset and I also don't like crumbly pastry mince oh, pies oh okay so I've had a short crust from <laughs> <laughs> give me a beat <laughs> mm. Mm. Uh, dog child <laughs> <laughs> It's time for the Homo Sapiens <laughs> Christmas special song. What's it going to be? It's got to be Mariah, no? Mariah. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing that I need. Da, 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 know the words to this bit. Underneath the homo tree. I just want you for my own home. More than you will homo. Make my dreams come true. A oh, baby, all I want for Christmas is homo. Merry Christmas, everyone. Everyone. Bob Cratchit. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. 
Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.